Please join me now in prayer. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would apply the word to our hearts and open our eyes to the truth of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ and the great sacrifice he made while we are yet sinners. In his name we pray, amen. An Old Testament reading from the prophecy of Jeremiah, chapter 31, beginning with verse 31. The word of the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke. Though I was their husband, declares the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. The grass withers and the flower fades. Thank you, Riley. Uh, from the least of them to the greatest of them. Friends, this is a family Sunday, and so there's a couple of things that will be a little bit different about this Sunday. Um, first, of off, first off, I have a lot of illustrations that have pictures, which is not my style at all. Greg does it, and Greg does it really well, but I do not. <laughs> Cindy got my list of pictures at 1 o'clock in the morning last night. So, just know that that's my bad. Um, secondly, uh, we're going to be looking at the book of James, chapter, or chapter 2, verses 14 to 26. That is on page... Oh, sorry, I was following along with the reading. That is on page 1,884, 82 in your pew Bibles. And if you brought your kid's Bible today, those of you who graduated from the third grade or from second grade, that is on page 1,855. So pew Bible and kid's Bible. All right, so if you have one of these bulletins, in, on the inside, it will say um, a couple of clues that I want you to find when you, hear, when you listen to this sermon. The first one, I'm going to talk about something, and you may see something that floats like a rock. You can draw a picture of what that thing is or just write down what it is. That's awesome. I'm very encouraged. Secondly, uh, it'll, there'll be something that swings like an orangutan. And finally, there'll be something that changes in an amazing way. It's not an outline for the sermon, friends. Those are hints for those who have that children's bulletin. So if you would, read the passage with me. James 2, verse 14 and following. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but doesn't do anything about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, 
You have faith. I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish man. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scriptures were fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Friends, pray with me before we dive in. Father, this is your word, and your word gives life. I pray that we would listen. I pray that you would guard my tongue so that I may not speak anything but what you will and what is true of you to these your people who you love so much. Father, guard their ears. May they be gracious listeners to me as they have been so many times. May we be turned towards you. May we be called to enter the game and love you well as you have loved us. In your name I pray, amen. So I have some pictures this morning, like I said. Um, these are all going to be of me early on. Sorry, I'm not that full of myself. I hope that will become clear. So this is me playing soccer. I played soccer. I loved soccer. I was about eight years old, and I don't know if I have shorts on. But <laughs> I'm pretty sure I do. I'm pretty sure I do. And I loved the game. I loved the game because I was a participant. There's another one of me that uh, just kind of reveals how much this was after a game or before the game. You will notice I'm not sweating much which either means I'm really used to Florida sun, or I didn't play a lot, <laughs> which is a lot of my life. Um, there's some other uh, sports here. Me playing football. That's a great smile for a picture. It's a horrible body for a football game. Trust me. It got broken and broken, and I was not very good. And I played basketball. You'll see my skill on my face. Yeah, that guy's going to beat me. Um, and then there's one more. This is probably the one I'm most proud of. I played rugby. I wasn't very good on that at day either, but that's probably the best picture of me I've ever seen. So <laughs> I wanted to throw it in. Maybe I'm a, I am a little full of myself. I hope not. Um, anyway, I show you all these pictures to uh, hopefully spark your memory to a time you were on a team, a time that you felt the delight of that team, you know, when you were a contributor, when you made a difference on the team, when you were part of the team and you were one of them, right? And you came at, a, at something with a, we're, we're together on this, whether it's ro a robotics th tournament whether it was an athletic tournament like what I played in, whether it was a choir performance, a orchestra ensemble, something with, music, with instruments, right? A band. Were you on a team? Did you feel like you had a role on that team? Let me tell you a little bit about the role on that football team that I had. I was very not good at football, as you could probably have guessed. And I was really respected by the coach because I did everything he asked. One time he told me, Dolby, if I told you to go out in front of a car, you'd probably do it. And I said, Coach, please don't tell me to do that, which was me sucking up to him in a big way. But he really respected me just as an athlete, so he gave me this position where I was on the kickoff team, and before the ball was kicked off, if you were the team, I faced this direction. I hope you can still hear me. 
and I looked at the kicker, and I said, we are good to kick the ball. And I put my hands up like this, and the kicker kicked the ball. It was my signal to the kicker. And then I'd have to turn around, as the rest of my team was already 10 yards up the field, and I'd have to pursue the play. Here's the problem. The ref did the same thing that I did just two seconds before. My position was a worthless position on the team. It did nothing. The play was happening, and I was still at the first, at the kickoff line, right? I know what it's like not to be a contributor. I know what it's like to feel like I have to voice sing because if someone heard me actually sing, the choir would sound awful, right? I know what it's like to lip sing. I know what it's like to fake it. I've not, there have been times that I've not been the star. If you guys know what that feels like, if you have the longing to be on the team, to be a contributor, I've got really good news for you. And it comes from this passage. I think there's a beautiful sentiment in many of what uh, millennials, of which I am one, say when they want a job that matters. They want a job that makes a difference. Now, they may have some theological issues with uh, what jobs make differences and what jobs not don't. But that's our call, friends, to get into the game, to be participants. And we're going to look at two types of faith. One faith is dead, and it doesn't long to get into the game. There's another faith that is beautiful, and we're going to find the one who points us to it. So the first faith, the dead faith, it comes from uh, James' illustrations in uh, verses 14 down to 18. He has two illustrations that are incredibly powerful and a lot of words that describes this faith of these illustrations. First, we'll look at the words. Um, He begins by saying... If a man claims to have faith but no deeds, can such a faith save him? What good is it, my brothers? What benefit is it? What benefit? This is a constant theme. And then in the end of, uh, I want to say 17, in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. And then James again like puts the exclamation point in 27, or 26, so faith without deeds is dead, just as the body without the spirit is dead. And let's just talk real quick about a Jewish context. What does it mean for something to be dead? It means it is incredibly unclean. If you touch it, you're unclean. If you have association with it, you're unclean. Tanners worked with dead bodies all the time. They were horribly unclean. Constantly. You had to cl- wash yourself. You had to cleanse yourself before you could even come back into God's temple. What James is trying to do is he's trying to like really punch his, his uh, readers in the face. Hey, this kind of faith is dead and it can't save. So the two illustrations that he points to. Um, the first is care for the poor. And guys, I'm going to give a confession. If you're like me and you hear about care for the poor... You may think, oh boy, here we go again. I'm going to have to go on the guilt trip. I'm going to have to think about all the poor people I didn't love. That's how you feel. And you're like me. And I want you to join me in confessing that to Christ. Because the true litmus test of faith is always us characterized by our Father. The Lord loves the poor. And if you ever find yourself in a church, whether it's this one or another one, that doesn't preach about God's love for the poor, he's not preaching the Bible. And he's not preaching about the Lord who loves us and saves us because we're poor. 
and He sees us. So, confess with me and then look again at the hope that we have. The poor need us because they need our Father because we needed our Father. So, what does He say about the poor? Suppose a brother or sister, notice brother or sister, this is a member of our covenant community. This is a familial term. These are familial terms. We love these people. We know these people. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes, naked, and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? What good is it? It's a beautiful statement, and it's a hideous picture. I just want you to think about someone that you love, someone that you know, coming to you who's naked and constantly ashamed and who is hungry. And you say to that person, hey, go in peace. Go in peace, my friend. Be warm and well-fed. And there's two different ways of translating that. There's the first one, which is kind of a prayer, which makes a mockery of prayer. Be warm and well-fed. Don't worry, God will take care of you. And then, and then there's the worst one, which is feed yourself. Keep yourself warm. Go get a job. Go take care of yourself. Don't ask me to, but go in peace. These are the wicked responses to the poor friends. And if you see this, if you see this around you, and you see someone doing this, your heart just gets, ugh! That's disgusting! No! There's no beauty in that. That doesn't encourage me to want to step into that faith. There's nothing beautiful about that. Saying to someone who's needy, just go. Just go, you'll be okay. That's not the kind of faith that James is calling for. And he says, friends, that faith will not save you. And it is no benefit to your brothers and sisters either. There's always a vertical direction to faith. And there's a horizontal direction to true faith. True faith, friends moves in your heart, and it, lo- it sends outward love directed to others that the Lord loves too. That's true faith. And James is saying, that's not here. We don't see that here. And this is worthless. The second one, the second uh, picture that he paints is one of um, the uh, demon's faith, which is creepy, right? Uh, here we go. Some will say... You have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You believe that there is one God to a Jewish audience. That's the Shema. You've memorized that and much of the rest of the Old Testament all of your life, right? This is your engagement. This is what you do. We believe that the Lord our God is one. And James says, you believe that? Good. You do well. But so do the demons, and they shudder. What's he saying? Right? Vertical faith, friends, that's what he's talking about. When you have faith in the Lord, true faith in the Lord, you don't have to shudder. You don't have to be afraid. The demons understand. Oh yeah, the demons get who God is. They get who Jesus is. They know really well. But they have no peace in that. And as they stand in that, they shudder because they know what God is coming to do to them. Friends, you don't have to shudder. You don't. 
True faith reminds you that you are a friend of God, that you are loved by God, that you are cared for by God, and there's nothing that He can reveal about Himself that's going to disturb you. But He cares for you. So, in our two illustrations, we see what ugly faith looks like. It cares not for the poor. And it doesn't feel peace, the peace of Christ from our Father. I want to uh, give a quick picture of a faith that cannot save. Don't you think of like a life raft with holes or a cardboard box? Guys, they sink like rocks. Intense. They sink like rocks or they float like rocks. Look at these people. There's no way they're getting across the river, right? They're sinking. That faith will not save you. That kind of river will not save you. These two people are really fine. They're having a great time. <laughs> this is just a funny video that I found. All right. The, but that kind of faith saves not you. It gives you no peace. And it doesn't cause you to care for those around you. But James doesn't ever end his story here. And he doesn't throughout this whole book. He keeps calling us back to the beauty of what true faith and true life and true engagement is, friends. Because that kind of faith, that's the faith that just sits on the sidelines and watches. That's the faith that doesn't go into the kitchen and cooks. But there is a faith that does go into the kitchen and cooks. There is a faith that does engage and gets off the sidelines. And James gives it to us right here as he looks to the archetypal Jew, Abraham. Right? So Abraham is the Michael Jordan of basketball. He is the uh, uh, Michael Jackson of hip-hop, and, or not hip-hop, but pop, right? He's, he's kind of the man. And let's look at what he does. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was, God, he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does, and not by faith alone. So what do we see with Abraham? First thing, guys, there's two different passages that are quoted in this text, and they are out of order. Abraham is considered righteous in Genesis 15 when God promises him a son and he believes it. And the deeds that are done here or that are referred to here come from Genesis 22, which is about 30 years later. After Abraham has really, really messed up in a lot of ways. And yet he's received the son, the promised son, and he loves the promised son. And then he does what is unthinkable, right? So if you don't remember the Genesis 22 story, I'll just give it to you. Abraham is an old man. He has no kids. God gives him a kid. After Abraham is following the Lord and the Lord is revealing his faithfulness to him. And then Abraham is given his child. And God comes to Abraham and says, Hey, take your son, your only son, the son you love. There's no question about which son this is. And I want you to sacrifice him on the altar to me, right? And if you're a parent or if you love somebody and you think of God telling you to do that, what is the thing in your mind? No! <laughs> no, you're not good. You can't ask me to do that. But what we see in Abraham is this beautiful faith 
It's not blind to Isaac. It's not that he doesn't love Isaac. Right? And it's not just he's a, a people pleaser and wants to please God. So, oh, well, Isaac, I really love you, but you're going to do this for the family ministry. Ah! <laughs> right? <laughs> right? That's, that's not what Abraham's doing. Abraham wakes up in the morning and he cuts the wood, which is just excruciating, right? He cuts the wood that he's going to lay his son on and burn his son on. He loads it on the donkey. He gets the knife. He gets the flint. He goes through all of these steps of obedience. He calls his son. He calls his servants. And they go on a three-day hike. Could you imagine this hike where Abraham is not sharing anything, right? He's not saying, oh, I'm going through a lot of hardship right now. He's not doing that. And the, the servants and the, and the son don't know what's, going, what's about to happen. And then they get to the place where, they, where Abraham sees where he's going to sacrifice his son. And he looks at his two servants and he says something that's so crazy. And we'll say that Jewish heroes don't lie. All right? Abraham's not a liar. But he looks at his two servants and he says to them, guys, we're going to go, the boy and I, you stay here. The boy and I are going to go up to the mountain we're going to worship God and we will come back to you. We will come back to you. See, Abraham's faith in the Lord was one that gave him peace even when he's called to do something horrible because he knows this. He knows that his God loves him. He knows who God is. He knows that Yahweh has saved him, has called him, has given him this son, and that Yahweh has promised through this son inheritance of the, like the stars. Abraham knows God. He trusts God. He believes in God. And that trust and belief throws him into action. Action that is faithful. Action that is obedient. I was telling um, the youth group at one point a story, and I was trying to get them to say that God was good. And I thought of the worst illustration I could find. And the Riscos get a lot of talk. And I talked to Riley. She said it was okay for me to share this. Um, I hope that's still okay, Riley. <laughs> so I was saying, Riley, because I sometimes point out different youth group members to really drive it home. I say, Riley, what would you do if your dad told you he wants you to kill one of your chinchillas? If you don't know Riley, she loves her chinchillas. She loves them. And what I was expecting to hear her say was, Sam, Dad wouldn't tell me to do that because Dad is good, which is what I was, you know, I was like, that's what I was fishing for. Don't cast your rod for what you'll fish for, um, unless you're actually fishing. So uh, what Riley told me is, she was like, I would do it. And Riley's crazy about chinchillas. And I was like, what are you talking about? You, your dad wouldn't ask you to do that, but that's crazy. And she said, no, my dad is a good father. He loves me. And if he told me to do that, there'd be a good reason. And he would care for me. Because he cares about my chinchillas too. And that may have been a little bit more than what you actually told me. But that's the gist of it, right? <laughs> that's, the, that's the gist of it. Hey, my dad's a good dad. I can trust him. And if he told me to do it, he'd have a good reason. Friends, I'm not asking you to have faith in anyone. I'm not asking you to put it on the line for anyone. We're talking about a God that spent... 25 years with Abraham, teaching Abraham about how faithful he was, showing Abraham that if he took 300 men in combat against thousands, Abraham would win, promising Abraham the, son, the, the kids as many as the stars through Isaac. God revealed himself to Abraham, and that vertical faith, friends, gave Abraham peace. 
He was invited into the action. He understood the action. He knew he could trust in the one who was calling him. And so he did what we can't even imagine. But there's a second and possibly even more beautiful story than Abraham's, and that's Rahab's. Because Rahab is not one who the Lord has come to directly. Rahab is one who has heard the story, right? She lives in this city, this walled city of Jericho, and she works there doing things. And she uh, has lived in the city and knows that the people of Israel are coming and that the land that she is in is going to be theirs, right? She knows it's coming. And she knows that Israel is going to come and fight them. And these two Israelite spies come to her. And she lets them in their house. We don't know why they came, but that's not really what we're worried about. They came to her house. She lets them in. And she is entertaining them in some way or protecting them in some way. And some guards come to the house because the guards know that there are some spies in the land. They're going to destroy this city if they can get the information. And the guards come to the house and they say, Hey, Rahab, we know they came here. Where are they? And Rahab's like, Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, they did come here. You saw them. (laughs) They went that way. Hurry, go get them. And so they go. The guards go. They chase them. They go to chase down the spies that are not running that way, but are up on the rooftop, right? And then Rahab goes to those spies. These two unimportant spies, which I don't even believe they're named. And she says, hey, I have done this for you. When you come to take this city, make sure that I'm safe. Keep me safe. Don't let me or anyone in my house kill me. Don't let me or anyone in my house die. Protect us. Now, why can she ask two no-name spies who are going to go give word to a massive army to keep her safe? These two guys can't do that. This is going to be like the the craziness of battle. There are going to be people running in all kinds of houses. Who knows what's going to happen? She's putting her life on the line on battle day. And then she puts her life on the line that day because guess who's coming back from a search that went, went, went nowhere? The soldiers. And what are you going to do if you've been out all day running around because someone told you that the guys you were looking for are that way and now you're bloodied and scarred and you're sad and you're bruised and you come back and you're like, you know what? She lied to us. <laughs> Let's go get her. That's what you would do. That's what I would do. So Rahab is putting her faith in not only these two, sir, these two spies, but she's also putting her faith that these guys are going to come back and kill her because she's not going with them. Right? That's a lot of faith. That's a lot of faith. And this is why she does it. Because she says, I have heard of what your God did. I have heard that He is the Lord of the land and of the sea. He is the King of heaven and earth. And He is the one true God. And I trust in Him. And because of that, I am going to trust in His family. And I'm going to love His family. And I'm going to care for His family. Remember the guy who said to his brother and sister, go in peace. Don't worry. You're going to be okay. Be fed. Be warm. Right? What Rahab says is, hey, you two who are my enemy, I want in with you. Because your God is real. And I'm going to love you. And I'm going to protect you. Friends, Rahab and Abraham are showing us beautiful directions of faith. Beautiful directions of faith. They're putting their lives on the line. And they're asking their father, who they trust, to catch them. 
Now I have a short video that I hope will work. I send it again. Here's some people who are putting their lives kind of on the line. And they're trusting, there is a net below. And they're trusting in someone to catch them. Look at them swing like orangutans. Right? Look at that. Trapeze artists? Trapeze acrobats? I'm not sure the term. Now here he goes. And one, two, make the flip. That's trust, guys. <laughs> right? That's faith. Hey, you're going to catch me, right, bud? <laughs> you're going to catch me. They practice so many times that they know that he will. Right? The Lord has proven to us that he will care for us. That he will love us. That he will catch us. That he won't drop us. If you're looking at your life right now, and you're thinking, man, I just want to get in the game, and I don't want to be purely a speaker... This is why. This is just a beautiful quote from Adolf Schlatter. Adolf Schlatter. Schlatter. Just just to make sure everyone hears that. Schlatter, not Adolf, another. Schlatter. Okay, ready? Friends, faith without action is not true faith. It may be in a sense, but it's not actual trust. That I say faith cannot possibly free me from sin, that I say I have faith cannot possibly free me from sin, guilt, and punishment. How could something I say be my deliverance if faith gave me merely words? If it gave me merely words, then it would be of use, after all, to say, I have faith. But that is a, is a sinister thought. Is that all I am? A thinker and a talker? God has given me life. He's given us life. And that means he has planted a will in me that can act, that must act, with an alterable necessity. Service to God is action. I should thank God that I can act as one who trusts. Yes, friends, you have been given a great gift, right? The, the um, grandmother doesn't say, hey, just eat what I give you. She says, hey, come and make the food with me. Come and see what life looks like. Come step in and experience the goodness and the richness of my life and watch what it does to those around you as you care for them. Watch what it does to you as you experience the peace of God that is beyond understanding, as you know that you can call me your friend. Watch what happens. All right. Another confession. I have really struggled with this passage for a long time. And in fact, on Saturday afternoon, as I was trying to land the plane, because landing the plane for my sermons is always the hardest thing for me, I can ever get the third point. Um, I was walking in the park, and I was kind of not quite crying, but just saying, Lord, I don't want to not have action. I want to be someone who's in the game, and I've wanted to all my life. I want to be active. And yet I'm afraid that I don't have good enough faith. I'm afraid I don't have true faith. And I'm still working through this. And I'm sure you will be too. But friends, if you're looking to your faith to justify you, it's not going to do it. And if you're looking to your works to justify you, it's not going to do it. You've got to get your eyes off yourself. And you've got to look to the one who does 
justify. And that is God. He is your Father. And He justifies you through Christ. If you are struggling and saying, man, I just wish I was a good enough Christian. I just wish those around me were impacted by my faith. Look to Him. Look to Him. Riley read it, right? Jeremiah, I will make a new covenant with my people. I will write my words on their hearts. They will have my law and they will live it out. They will love it. They will experience it. And they will reflect it to others. That's the beauty of the Gospel, friends. Right? And it takes time. It takes a long time. Remember, Genesis 15, Abraham is declared righteous. Genesis 22, his works work with his faith and make it complete. The word is mature. Whoa, for all of those who are struggling with adulting, <laughs> right? Yeah, thank you, Mark. Yeah, me too. And you just want to be mature about something? You don't want to be a goofball? You want to have mature faith? Christ is saying, I'm working on it. And I'm working on you. And we're in this together. I love what, I, I just love what um, Jesus says to the two disciples from John who kind of follow him. He looks at them and they say, he says, who do you seek? And they say, Rabbi, where are you staying? And Jesus could have said, um, three blocks over. I got a room, I got a bed, thanks. You know? He could have said, oh, I'm not going to tell you that, you're a stranger. <laughs> right? He says, come and see. Come walk with me. Come experience life with me. I'll show you where I'm going. And I'll take you there. Come and see. Friends, this is the good news for you. That Jesus does not ask for anything from you that he hasn't already given you. He doesn't ask you for active faith because you've got to do it. He invites you into the game because he's taking your hand and he's bringing, it in, bringing you in with him. And the beautiful thing is he's not ashamed of your performance. He's pumped for every time that Ryder comes up here and sits with the youngest ones. Right? He's pumped for every time that Noah gets up and plays the drums. He's pumped when Noel looks at a calf and says, I love this calf. This calf is the only thing animal that's not being cared for. When the Lord sees you working, he's pumped when you guys welcome a 30-year-old preacher who's preached six times into your pulpit and you sit respectfully and listen and are attentive. You guys are, are portraying the gospel to me. And I've seen you portray the gospel to one another. And that's what Jesus is so excited about doing with you. And he's calling you in and moving you. And he does it because he loves you. We have to trust the Lord. And when he shows up, sometimes it's hard for us to trust him. And it takes time. I've got a video of, an, of something that is transformed. I want to show it right now. If we can, I hope it'll work. So I'm not asking you to trust just anyone, but I'm asking you to trust the one who's coming to you and who finds you. All right? If you have ever seen these kinds of videos, these are dogs that um, need to be loved. Right? And this is not a horrible one. But the Lord finds you, and he gives you food. And he cares for you, and he tends for you, and he walks with you, and he sets you free. I muted it because it's kind of hard to see hear the dog bark. That's like the saddest part of this video. 
And, and I just think this is beautiful. You know, the um, brother and sister who are naked and hungry, who need help, that's us. And the Lord clothes us, and he feeds us, and he cares for our wounds, and he tends to our wounds. And he builds us up. Sorry, that's kind of nasty. <laughs> uh, my bad. But you're going to watch this little puppy make a remarkable recovery. The Lord bathes us. He cares for us. He tends to us, right? This is Riley saying, hey, I can trust my dad because this is what he's done for me. Not literally, Riley. Not literally. <laughs> but, you know, figuratively. He's cared for me. He's loved me. He's revealed to me his care. And because of that, I'm now ready to get in the game. Right? Six weeks later, a little puppy with some... Look at that. He's ready to play. He's ready to have... He's got active faith now, right? He trusts these people. He loves these people. He's ready to engage with these people. I don't know who that white guy is in this video. <laughs> it's really interesting. <laughs> I don't know what he's doing here. But this dog is loved. That's a face right there, friends, that's ready to get in the game. And I love it. Thank you, Cindy. Well done on editing this stuff, by the way. Um, friends, my prayer for you is that you would let God do this to you. This is cheesy. I know. Oh, by the way, that was something that was transformed, you know, completely transformed. Um, this is what the Lord wants to do with you. He wants to bring you in. He wants to reveal to you his love for you. And then he wants to give you a seat at the game. He says, come on in. Don't stand this way. But stand this way. And love those around. And be my people. Because I'm your God and I love you. This is a wonderful gift, friends. Look to Christ. Don't look to your lack of faith. Don't look to your lack of works. They will always be lacking, trust me. <laughs> look to the Lord who has no lack and gives to you a seat at the table. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you call us to a faith that engages. We thank you that you are calling this church to be a church that engages the community around it. Not that we would earn the right to be called your sons and daughters, but because we're part of the family and we get to participate in the joy of new creation with you. We thank you. In your name I pray. Amen.